Welcome to episode 188 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on March 5th, 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got a lot of news. we got some distro news, we got app news, gaming news, and even a little bit of cord news to cover. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with the show, I just want to give you a quick reminder that the live stream is now being streamed every week on the main network channel, so you can subscribe to that channel to get notifications for all the live streams from the network, including this show, Destination Linux, and many more. So we have a lot more coming in the future for live streams, so be sure to subscribe to the main network channel, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Sometimes you like to start things from scratch, and Linux is maybe not something that you'd want to do that with, but if you are a type of person who would like to do Linux from scratch, then check out the latest version of Linux from scratch, and that is LFS 11.1, and there's also BLFS 11.1, which is for beyond Linux from scratch. This is a major update to both LFS and BLFS, as well as the systemd versions of both of those. And LFS release includes updates to glibc 2.35, binutils 2.38. The Linux kernel has also been updated to version 5.16.9. They have updated the Python stack to Python 3.10. It has added support for OpenSSL 3.0, which is great news. And also they've made a lot of changes to the text throughout the books. Now, the reason why I'm saying that Linux, Linux might not be the one you want to do from scratch, because Linux from scratch is a much different distro than like an average distribution, because it's not really even a distro. It's more of a guide, more like a book that helps you build your own Linux system, you know, from scratch, of course. Now, for comparison, Linux from scratch is not um, an easy thing to do, so just want to let that you know let you know if you want to try it out, be sure to do it in a virtual machine, and also know that it will take quite a while because people say that Arch Linux and Gentoo are hard to install, and for many people that is certainly true. Depending on what your skill level is and your experience, those things can be quite hard to do. But Linux from scratch takes that to a whole other level and makes those seem very simple in comparison. So let's give you an example, like an analogy. Let's say for a car analogy. Most distributions are like you go buy a car at a dealership and you're done. Um, Arch Linux is like a kit car where you get the pieces together and you put it together that way. And then Gentoo is like a kit car, but you have to find the parts individually yourself and then build the car. And then LFS is like the same kind of process, except you need to manufacture the parts yourself first before you can build the car. So it's quite a bit. So if you do want to do Linux from scratch, you'll, you'll find links in the show notes, but also keep in mind that it will take quite a while. So be prepared for that. It is interesting because you can learn a lot about Linux and how a system is built from using Linux from scratch or, well, starting the use of Linux from scratch, but it is, uh, it is a lot to do. So if you'd like to learn more or give it a shot yourself, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, OpenSUSE has announced the beta release of Leap 15.4. The final version of this is expected to be released in June, but if you'd like to help test the beta version, you can do so now. 
So Leap 15.4 will offer a refresh of more modern packages for the distribution, such as a variety of package updates like the newer KDE Plasma 5, uh, newer versions of Qt, uh, updated GNOME packages, and much, much more. In OpenSUSE Leap 15.4, they are also aiming to make the H.264 codec and other GStreamer plugins easier to install, which is always appreciated when any element of a distribution is improved to simplify, simplify the user experience. That is always important. Now, Beta testing for a project is always rewarding because you know you are helping improve the overall software or distro. However, this one could be a little bit more rewarding. I was told this week that people who participate in the beta testing could get some swag from OpenSUSE, such as shirts, hoodies, or even maybe a plushie from the like the Geeko mascot, that kind of thing. Uh, the exacts of how that what is going to be available has not been confirmed just yet or you know, what are the options necessarily, but for those interested, there is seemingly going to be some swag for OpenSUSE beta testers, so if you'd like to learn more about that, I'll have links in the show notes for that, as well as links about how to do the beta testing in general, because they have a guide that lists all the things they want to be tested, and you can do that, and I'll have links to all of this in the show notes. Up next in the show, Linux Mint has announced the beta release of the next version of the Debian edition for the distro, otherwise known as LMDE or Linux Mint Debian edition. So LMDE 5 beta has been released. The final release is expected sometime this month. Not exactly sure what the date is, but sometime this month. And this latest version will be updating to the latest Debian packages based on Debian 11 Bullseye, as well as the latest versions of those packages created and maintained by Linux Mint developers themselves, such as the Cinnamon desktop environment. Uh, Clem said in a quote, the result is a little bit underwhelming because it just looks and feels like Linux Mint 20.3. Under the surface, though, it features a Debian 11 base whose software is more recent than the Ubuntu 20.04, and which gives us a preview of some of the challenges we'll face with the latest Linux Mint 21. So this is interesting because, yes, this is a thing that happens with uh, the versions between Debian and Ubuntu and Linux Mint. So it's kind of like a little bit confusing for some by the statement of saying Debian software being more recent, but you don't hear that very often. And the reason is that Linux Mint's core update base is going to be every two years. So they use the Ubuntu base on the regular versions of Linux Mint, and those are updated once every two years. Linux Mint does have point releases every six months, but those are for the individual like packages of their own stuff, not the core components of the system. Those are updated every new version of the Ubuntu LTS, and those release once every two years. So that's why there's a difference between the package availability between the LMDE and the regular version, that sort of stuff. But if you'd like to learn more about the latest version of LMDE and try out the beta yourself, I'll have a link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. You also get support for every stage of growth, from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. 
In fact, it's even better than that. It's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. We changed the URL to tux for many reasons, but for reference, tux is the name of the Linux penguin mascot. So it, there's that. And so again, get started right now with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, the FSF has announced a new executive director, and that is Zoe Koyman. She's going to be taking over the position from John Sullivan. So the FSF, for those who are not familiar, is the Free Software Foundation. It is a nonprofit with a worldwide mission to promote computer user freedom. It has been a, it's been a little bit of a hot water for FSF for the past couple of years, so it's interesting to see what happens now going forward and what the future holds for the FSF as a whole. But I think this is a really good decision because Zoe has been involved in a lot of things involving also conferences and stuff like that. So I think this is going to be really interesting, especially you know the background that she has. If you'd like to learn more about that, I'll have links in the show notes for more details for the announcement and that sort of stuff. But the announcement states that Zoe was appointed by the FSF board following a careful selection process that included a review by the FSF staff committee and evaluation criteria such as management, uh, funding, fundraising, business, financial, legal, and technical skills. Now, for those who are not familiar, this job is the executive director of the FSF and is basically the day-to-day leader for the organization with like lots of different responsibilities for operation, licensing, projects, events, recruitment, fundraising, and some other things as well. So this is really interesting, and I think it's going to be a good decision. And and based on the announcement, Zoe states as, as a response to this, as, as technology continues to evolve and our lives increasingly depend on software, software freedom is more relevant than ever to, be co- to computer users and to society as a whole. I totally agree with that. It's never going to not be important, but it also gets more important every single day. So that's great. Also, the announcement goes on to say that Zoe joined the FSF as program manager in early 2019 and that she has a diverse background as highly experienced international project manager and event producer with demonstrated skills in successfully organizing and executing technology and social justice initiatives. And I think this is going to be really good overall for, like I've already said that, I know that, but I do think it's going to be good for the FSF because there needs to be a lot of more you know, change up in the FSF because it's been kind of the same for way too long and I like to see new people get involved because new people also introduce new ideas and new ways to do things and new approaches and that sort of stuff is always good for an organization because you don't want to have a single you don't want to have the organization doing the same thing forever and never you know making adjustments because society changes and therefore something that wants to affect society should also change so that's great so I like to see this kind of thing and if you'd like to learn more about this I'll have a link to the announcements in the show notes up next in the show is the latest release of Armbian. Armbian has announced the latest release of Armbian 22.02. For those unfamiliar, Armbian is a Debian-based distribution for ARM-based single-board computers, or SBCs, and development boards. The highlight for this release of 22.02 is that they've added a rolling releases for the Debian SID unstable-based releases. They've also added generic stable and rolling UEFI ARM64 and x86 images, as well as they've added images for Raspberry Pi. And they've also added some preview images for the upcoming Ubuntu 22.04 LTS release. 
if you would like to try out that and more experimental kind of thing. Uh, they've also made some new extension build framework and a ton more for this latest version of Armbian. If you are interested in checking it out, it's a distribution specifically for ARM-based devices. And it's very important that this kind of thing exists because ARM is, uh, it's kind of an interesting architecture in this fact that you know, with x86, if a distro is made for x86, it works for pretty much all machines. That's not true for how ARM works. So there's different builds for different devices. That's why they're adding the Raspberry Pi. They also have the Pinebook Pro and a variety of other different devices. So if you have an ARM-based device or an, SB an SBC, you might be interested in checking out Armbian. I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Hyperbola 0.4. For those who are not familiar with Hyperbola, I'm not sure if I said that right, but I think I did. For those who are not familiar with it, it is an Arch-based Linux Libra distribution that is based on trying to meet the guidelines for the GNU Free System Distribution Guidelines, or the GNU FSDG. Uh, this version has done a lot of interesting things, including uh, updating some packages as well as removing some packages. So this version drops support for systemd and adds experimental support for the run it in its system, in addition to their custom HyperRC system that they already use and make themselves. Uh, they also have decided to make the dis default display server Zenakara, which is the X, uh, which is basically the the project that is used inside of OpenBSD for the X server. They've also uh, made the default provider for their SSL and TSL or TLS protocols to be Libra SSL. And like I said, they dropped support for systemd, which is kind of it's it's uh, fair enough. It's not every pro distribution is uh, is favor in favor of systemd, but they also dropped support for some other things that were kind of odd to me. But for example, they dropped support for Rust and Node.js. I mean, if you don't necessarily need those, I guess that's fine. But they also dropped support for PolicyKit, Bluetooth, and Pulse Audio. So, I mean, that's kind of odd. But if you are a person who is looking for support for a distribution that doesn't need those things, then maybe Hyperbola 0.4 might be something to check out. I'll have links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you get access across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile application, desktop application, or even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is one of the reasons I was super excited to get Bitwarden when I first found it, and also I was incredibly excited to get them as a sponsor for this, this episode and also this show in general. And there's just so much great stuff about Bitwarden, so go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium account because there's so much great stuff that you get for less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Bitwarden Send Service, Priority Customer Service, so much more. You get all of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get your account today. Thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, let's talk about Element. They have a new feature that is pretty exciting for me. So the world is slowly getting back to some semblance of normalcy 
with in-person meetups and that sort of stuff. I mean, not as fast as everybody would want that, but it is happening. But I think that virtual meetups will still be around for a very long time and perhaps forever since they offer a lot of value to those teams and groups that are spread far apart and that sort of thing. And Element has announced a new feature related to this. And for those who are not familiar, Element is the uh, a matrix communication client, and they have announced a new feature called Element Call. This replaces the Jitsi method that they used before, to, so they now have their own native VoIP solution. So you can go to call.element.io, and you don't need to install an app. You just log in there and that sort of thing, and then you can give links to people to join you. And you also can do it on your own home server. I haven't seen the details about how exactly to do this. I am going to be looking into it because I do have my own home server So for the network, so we will be checking that out. Uh, and to quote the blog post, they say that Element Call is built entirely on Matrix. It doesn't need any additional servers to get going. You can run it against your existing Matrix home server to com provide complete self-sovereignty, uh, which I will be trying, while still being able to talk to anyone else anywhere on the wider Matrix network, which that part is really cool. That's one of the things that I like about Matrix is that it's, it's decentralized but also federated. And the federation part of it is a very important feature of Matrix slash Element. There's other, there are other alternatives that, you know, for this kind of communication thing, but I, I do like the way that Element and Matrix do it. And I'm really excited about this new Element call because the features for this are audio and video conferencing. It supports screen sharing. It actually looks quite nice. The look and feel is very nice. They also have the ability to drag and drop the order of cameras for custom sorting, which is something I've never seen any other tool be able to do so that's awesome and, and there's a variety of layout options for the cameras to do spotlighting or equal sizing and a lot more and, and but it is important to note that this is currently in beta the element call is currently in beta uh, it's they've also disabled into an encryption for the beginning of the beta to make it easier to diagnose bug reports and that sort of stuff but there will be an option of into an encryption when it is stable released so there just something I thought you should know if you would like to check it out i have more details in the links in the show notes also, if you want to check out more information about Element or Matrix as a whole, you can learn more about it on episode 263 of Destination Linux as we talk about that, as well as many other communication platforms for community building and that sort of stuff, because we did an episode about that particular topic, and we gave a lot of time for Matrix slash Element, because it is something we do use a lot on the network. So if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to episode 263 of Destination Linux in the show notes as well. Up next in the show is the latest release of Screen Copy, or S-C-R-C-P-Y. It is pronounced Screen Copy, for those who are interested. Uh, it has version 1.23 has been released. This application provides display and control of Android devices on your Linux desktop, which is really cool. It connects via USB and also over TCP IP for wireless support. If you want information about that, I'll have links in the show notes for how to do this sort of stuff. And it does not require any root access, which is really cool about what makes this thing possible because having to do root access is very complicated on most smartphones that are based on Android. So not requiring that is awesome. And this latest version of 1.23 updates a lot of things. They've improved the device selection, especially with multiple devices, which is great. They've also added uh, completion scripts for Bash and ZSH. They've also made it possible to better improve the auto downscaling and retrying due to media codec errors and that sort of stuff, as well as much, much more. So if you're interested in checking out Screen Copy, I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest version of Firewall D has been released with version 1.1. 
What is Firewall D, you might be asking? Well, Firewall D provides a dynamically managed firewall with support for network and firewall zones that define the trust level of network connections or interfaces. It's a daemon that does the integration of the core le level of firewalls. So it's uh, highly used in di Linux distributions. Most distributions are using it, or by even by default, some not so much, but majority of them are based on my research. Also, Firewall D 1.1 adds support for a number of new services for easily adjusting the firewall behavior and a number of low-level improvements. They've also added support for HTTP 3, and this is, makes it uh, more easily exposed for easily opening up the UDP port 443 for security stuff. Also, uh, Jellyfin support has been added to this latest release to make it easier to open ports for HTTP, HTTPS, and auto-discovery of ports. For those unfamiliar, Jellyfin is an open-source media center, so having access to this is really nice for those who want to deploy their own media center. If you're familiar with Plex, it's kind of like an open-source alternative to Plex. Uh, they've also added support for Apple File pr Filing Protocol, or AFP. This is a service that makes it more compatible with the Apple files, file services. They've also added support for OCI container images being built with Firewall D, which is really important for those who need to do container stuff and, and container orchestration and that sort of thing. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest version of, of Firewall D with 1.1, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. Also, Visuex happens to be my company, so there's that. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build their lasting relationships with their communities. And businesses shouldn't settle for good enough when you can contact Visuex and get visual excellence. That's where the name Visuex comes from, visual excellence. As a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free with a free consultation. Plus, you also, if you let them know that you, if you let them, me, know about that you heard from Twill about Visuex, you'll receive a 10% discount on your first project. That's right. So if you let, you let me, them, me know that I them told you about me them you get 10 percent discount on your first project so go to visuex.com slash dln to get started and want to thank visuex me for sponsoring this episode of this week in linux up next in the show we're going to talk about the steam deck effect so the steam deck effect is what i am calling it when companies give more attention to linux gaming due to the steam deck the news doesn't always have to be good though but it usually is in this case, we've got both some good news and some bad news. Or really, the bad news is more odd news than bad, but anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But Apex Legends now works on Linux with Proton and the Steam Deck. This is some really awesome news. So it's not just good news, this is awesome news for anybody who's interested in playing Apex Legends. It is now available to play on Linux. Now, it isn't officially confirmed just yet by the company, but many people have done testing to find out how it works, and it seems to work just fine, and some people are reporting that it works better than it does on Windows, so that's awesome. So if you're interested in checking out Apex Legends, you can now do that directly on Linux. You don't need to get the Steam Deck to have play it. It works through Proton, so if, you're, if you can't wait for the Steam Deck, just like I can't, then you can go check it out yourself. Up next in the segment about the Steam Deck effect is that, well... Destiny 2 has been announced that it's not supported for play on the Steam Deck or any system utilizing Steam Play's Proton unless Windows is installed and running. 
But And they also said that if players who attempt to launch Destiny 2 on the Steam Deck through SteamOS or Proton will be unable to enter the game and will be returned to the game library after a short time, but also, if they attempt to do it, they will be considered bypassing the Destiny 2 and the uh, incompatibility or anti-cheat stuff and will be met with a game ban. So that's not great. But that's not necessarily like people banning Linux. It's not like some people have said that, oh, they're going to ban Linux if you use it. It's more of like... It's bypassing anti-cheat, and that's the you know that's a reasonable thing. If you don't have support for something, you're essentially kind of bypassing anti-cheat at that point. But the thing that's weird about this particular topic, because I said this was not necessarily bad news, and it is kind of bad news, but it's more odd news to me, because Destiny 2 already has full Linux support, because it runs on Google Stadia. So the fact that they put all the effort already into properly porting it for Linux because of Google Stadia, it's very weird that they don't have a version for Linux or don't want to support it because they already did all of the work to support Linux. So that's very odd. Also, Destiny 2 uses BattleEye, which is their anti-cheat system, and BattleEye has already announced that they have support for the Steam Deck and Proton. So the effort to make their their anti-cheat work in Linux and Proton and the Steam Deck would not be that much effort. In fact, it's just an email away. So it's really weird that they're so adamant about Destiny 2 not working. Now, they did say that they're going to be looking into, you know, investigating support for it and that sort of stuff, but right now it's not supported. So they're not, like, totally closing the door, but it kind of did. And it's also really weird that they did because of the support it already has. Anyway, so Sony recently purchased Bungie that makes Destiny 2, so maybe that change in ownership will wake them up from such a silly decision and implement support in the future. And I will update you on in the future if anything changes, but for now, we still have tons of great games to check out, including now Apex Legends. So links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we got some more Steam Deck news. In an interview with IGN, Valve developer Lawrence Yang spoke about a number of things regarding the Steam Deck, and it sounds like people may not have to wait as long as expected, which is awesome, to get their hands on a Steam Deck. At the moment, Valve is using a queuing system, giving reservations a broad time range when, for when people can expect to get the delivery, like quarter two or after quarter two, which could be literally any time after quarter two. So that's not very clear. But there's good news about this, though. So Yang mentioned in, in production terms, it'll ramp up, ramp up very quickly. In the first month, very quickly, will be in the tens of thousands. By the second month, will be in the hundreds of thousands. And beyond that, it will grow even quicker. Yang also mentioned how once they get into the after Q2 launch period, things will get a lot more clearer as to the delivery times and production times. Valve also, you know, they have not given like numbers related to how many uh, Steam Decks have been purchased, but they do seem surprised at the level of sales on the Steam Deck, which sounds like good news to me because if the Steam Deck is successful in terms of a financially successful product, that means a lot of good things for Linux, good things for Valve, good things for, you know, gaming in general for like the whole grand scope of things because the more people who are able to access, you know, the Steam Proton stuff means more people are going to be make, making stuff for Linux gaming, which I'm super excited about that. Yang also mentioned they are in touch with many developers to get them to support the deck. That goes for both fixing bugs in Proton and also helping developers enable anti-cheat stuff as well, which is very cool. 
Also, Valve recently announced that the they've open sourced the SteamOS Dev cl- Dev Kit client as well as the Dev Kit service for Steam Deck. I'll have links to that in the show notes. And there's also a new game that's available from Valve called Aperture Desk Job, which is a Portal Universe game, and it's made for like a tutorial inside of the Steam Deck. And I decided to give it a shot today just to kind of see what it was like. And it is, it does remind me a lot of Portal, and it is awesome. Like, it's probably the best tutorial I've ever seen of how to learn how to use a device. A lot of the stuff I could not do because I don't have a Steam Deck. I am looking forward to getting one because I'll be able to play the full game. So I didn't, I didn't actually finish the game because I wanted to wait for the actual Steam Deck, but I did want to give like a little bit of a, a testing for it. If you'd like to learn more about this news related to the open sourcing of the different the dev kit stuff, as well as the expectations and the interview with IGN. I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have a Humble Bundle to talk about, and it's the Humble uh, Heroines Bundle, and there's also a lot more bundles that I'm going to talk about later. But first of all, we're going to talk about the Humble Heroines Bundle. This is a game all about uh, having a female lead of the game, and there's a lot of cool stuff. There's actually some Linux native games. There's some Proton games. There's also one game that isn't doesn't work on Linux yet. Uh, due to anti-cheat stuff, but who knows what will happen in the future. But for now, we have access to Celeste, which is a Linux native game. Tacoma, also Linux native, which are both overwhelmingly positive reviews. Uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, uh, Cloudpunk, Scarlet Nexus, and Severed Steel are also all available on this particular bundle and available to play on Linux. There's also another bundle called the Joy of Coding Bundle for the, from the No Starch Press Company for some books about learning uh, from various different things like Python and that sort of thing. If you're looking to learn about coding, this could be a bundle to check out. Also, if you're looking to learn about RPG game development, you can check out the Unity Bundle for that, plus a lot more bundles linked in the show notes. And just real quick, these are affiliate links. So if you do decide to purchase any of these bundles, please use those links in the show notes because it will give a small percentage to the This Week in Linux podcast and the channel. So I would very much appreciate that. So again, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show, we have multiple ways to contribute. You can become a patron by via Patreon, sponsors, and other ways. You can When you do become a patron, you can actually get access to the live stream recording. We actually have a recording stadium with a skybox where all the patrons can join me to talk about stuff in between topics and also just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, uh, so much stuff. There's even a new uh, desk mat, which I didn't even know was called a desk mat. But if you didn't know, that's a gigantic mouse pad. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, go to dealinstore.com because we've got a lot of cool stuff now at the new store. And if you'd like some more pod- podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts because I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dlnlive.com. And remember that we're on a new channel for the main channel for doing live streams that is going to be linked in the show notes as well. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.